Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Hello, everyone in podcast land. It is me, but it's just me today. Emily is out. She is on sabbatical. If you don't know what sabbatical means, it simply means she's taking some time off. She's being a mom. She's hanging out with our kids. She is spending the last few moments with our daughter who's about to go to college in August. So they are soaking it all up. But never fear, I am holding the fort down here at JSL and in the podcast world. Um, Today, we are joined by two guest hosts. And I want you to meet Mimi. Say hi, Mimi. Hello. Mimi is our case manager here at JSL. And she is also an access grad. And she is who we like to refer to as our very own Erin Brockovich. So, Mimi, welcome (laughs) to the podcast. And we're also joined by the one who makes it all happen, Jersey. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be on the podcast this time. Well, I'm excited for you guys to be on too. I, I, I feel though that it's bittersweet. Mm. It's a bittersweet, bittersweet reason because um, last night we got the news that our dear friend and JSL family member, Angela, passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, that's both bitter and it's sweet. And it's, it's bitter because she's gone. It's bitter because she won't be here to make me laugh my head off. It's sweet because um, addiction no longer has a hold on her. She no longer has to be terrorized by the trauma that her life has dealt her. Mm-hmm. And in that, I think that is sweet. Um, and so... Just a little history on Angela. This is just kind of an intro. We're going to actually play an interview that we put up a couple of seasons ago. Um, We hid her name because she was still living at the time. And it's a very candid interview between her and Emily on the way to rehab. And Angela, who we referred to as Linda in that episode, um, talked a lot about her um, battle with addiction. And so we are going to play that in its entirety as a way to honor her, um, because one of her last, one of the last things she said to me was, I want my story to help so many people. And we had great plans on videoing her and um, making a beautiful video of her story in her own words, but it just, time just didn't allow. And she really started to go downhill very quickly. She had a heart issue and it just took over. Mm-hmm. And so, Today, before we hear from Emily and Linda, I just want us to remember Angela and the light that she brought to um, us here at JSL. So Mimi, what is your favorite Angela story? (laughs) My favorite Angela story um, is she was on hospice and she was no longer um, able to really get out of the bed and move. And um, I just looked down at her feet and I just noticed how 
they were just, you know, dirty and her toenails weren't painted. And then she looked at them. She goes, oh, don't look at my feet. I just, I can't even do my own hair. And so um, that day, something laid on my heart and just told me, you know, you need to go, you need to go wash your feet. You need to go paint her nails. <clears throat> and it reminds me of the um, a Bible verse um, where it talks about cleaning your feet. And that day I went to the store and I bought some polish and some um, pedicure stuff and some hair stuff and some lotion. And I went the next morning and I gave her uh, a pedicure with her feet and I did her hair. And we were only able to do one foot because we had an emergency crisis happen while I was visiting her. Mm-hmm. And I hold that memory very closely um, to me. And every time I went and visit her after that, she will always remember that. And she's very grateful that I got to paint one foot. <laughs> and the last time me and Jersey actually went to go see her, I noticed that that one foot was still painted. <laughs> what color? It was pink. She requested pink. Pink. Hmm. Jersey, what's your favorite Angela memory? Yeah, when I think about Angela, immediately I, I think of laughter and I think of light. Um, Angela has always been a funny one. Uh, anytime you talked with her. There was always something that you just weren't sure what she was going to say, but you know you're going to buzz out No laughing. doubt, no doubt. Um, and so she spent quite a few um, moments with me in my car when we're driving somewhere, um, and then quite a few moments out on our couches in the in the main room. Um, can't tell you how many naps she's taken there. Loved that. It was such a peaceful place for her. And there was one, it was actually not too long ago, that she had taken a nap on the couch, was just resting, wanted to be in our space, just... Um, to find comfort, to be around people that loved her, um, to find peace as she was struggling with her heart condition and respiratory issues and stuff like that. And we were taking photos for something and the newer iPhones now have three cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Brett knows where I'm going with this. And we were taking, taking photos and Angela goes, why is there three holes in that? And I said, what do you mean? It's just my phone. It's my iPhone. And she was like, there, there's three holes in that camera. And I said, well, there, it's three cameras just all in one. And she could not get over the fact that it had three cameras. She's like, you're looking at me from all these different angles. Brett had his phone at the time as well. She's like, now there's six. And I was like, Ange, I, can't, I cannot with you. I promise it's just my iPhone here. You can see it. I can show you the photos. But it's like little moments like that that yeah. I, I just laugh. I laugh and I that think That girl, her. I remember uh, when, we were re- when we were renovating the building, and we had worked so hard to get everything ready. And our, the last thing that we did were the floors. And we had run out of money um, to have someone professionally come in and do it. So um, I did it. And it was a matter of prepping them and acid washing them and sealing them and then doing this machine thing. Well, Angela called and said, can I come help? And so me and Angela did basically all of the floors at JSL. And we did them together. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the several days that it took us, I heard more prison stories and I heard more. Um, I, I don't think I could repeat the stories publicly, but I have never laughed so hard in all my life. Someone, she has just lived a lot of life, a mm-hmm. lot of textured life. Um, and was able to have such a positive attitude about it. I mean, her trauma began at best. She could remember two the age of two and you know what we know about that what we know about exploitation and addiction and things like that is um for her to have 
the life that she's had to some degree has been a miracle. And the fact that she even made it this long is a bit of a miracle. Um, but the drugs took a toll on her and they took a toll on her body. And, um, and so that's where we are today. So, but, but just even, even the last moment of her being here at JSL was just a couple of weeks ago. And we were able to have a beautiful ceremony, um, with her and kind of a letting go Mm -hmm. kind of moment. And Emily was here and facilitated just a beautiful, just a beautiful ritual. And I think it brought a lot of peace to her. It brought peace to us. It brought a lot of laughter, um, a lot of tears. And uh, it was just a really beautiful thing. So it is such an honor um, to get to do what we do here at JSL. And that's to love people in whatever state they're in. And so to be able to love Angela in the midst of her addiction, in the midst of her recovery, um, and then in the midst of her transitioning to the next life has been such an honor and a privilege and difficult. It's not easy. It's it's inconvenient at times. Um, I can't think of the number of times that she's called us late into the night and just wanting to talk and we're wanting to go to bed and um, Emily rises to the occasion and is just Jesus to her. So anyway, we hope that as you listen to um, Angela's interview, that you're reminded of people and that you're mindful that um, everybody has a story. Everybody has specific circumstances. Some they've been dealt with, some they've chosen, and some a little bit of both. And so before you quick to judge them, maybe you can dig deep and find a space of empathy for them at first, because that's what we know Jesus did. And so um, just listen with open ears and open heart and um, help us celebrate the life of Angela um, because we're going to do that. We're going to do that on Saturday um, at her memorial service. So um, here it is. I've been using since 1981. Okay, I've been using the needles since 1989. Mm -hmm. And I know I've been in so much recovery. And what I see is that you go in there and you get all this Jesus, you get all this healing and it's great. Then you're, most of the ones I've been in, you're out, you don't have a job, you don't mm-hmm. have any money. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have family support, which I don't, because I burnt mm-hmm. all my bridges, mm-hmm. um, where or do you they, go? And they burnt your bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Or, the, the very family that you would go back to exactly. are, are the people that trafficked you. And some people <laughs> have family to go and help them from where they're at to mm-hmm. get keep going good and that's great. Yeah. Some people don't. Yeah. And, so I would, so what do, you, what do you do? You don't have no money. You're desperate. You're out there. You go into back to the old ways, survivor mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not good. Yeah. So no one will let you in the door. You, you, your intentions are to do good and stay clean. But when there's no offer out there for you to get a job or you got all these stuff on your record, you can't get a job. You usually go back to that life. So that is just the, the longest you've ever stayed sober was this last time. Three years. And that was because, mainly because I had... I had long-term, well, I went from long-term, and then I went to Victoria, which is great as a, as a, they're not, not for recovery, I wouldn't use them for recovery somewhere where I'm at right now, because I believe in go find job right now if I was ever at Victoria. If you were in Victoria, for but, perpetual help home. Yeah, but sober living home, they're great. Okay. If you're at that level, you got to be at that place in your Pretty life. Pretty independent. I was at that place in my life. Yeah. I did get clean for three years, yeah. but then when I came when my daughter died and I gave him to Waco, mm-hmm. I, if I wouldn't have had access, mm-hmm. I probably would have already been dirty yeah. before that. 
Yeah. But because that program kept me going and mm-hmm. kept me thriving on Jesus and thriving mm-hmm. on wanting to be clean mm-hmm. because I had a, mo- I had a motivation. Mm-hmm. I stayed clean through that. I did not relapse. I still had the same problems. Mm-hmm. With I still had the same grief with Sky, but I didn't relapse. So after the so after access, then you got a great job. You were living with your grandmother I messed, that you still used. I messed up. Well, I because I was grieving over counselors because I have trust issues. Yeah. Okay, and I'm still working on that. So I thought I could. When I used, I realized I, I messed up because I messed up my neck mm-hmm. and I was scared. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to act like this never happened because mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint my people. And if people know about it, they're all going to be like, I, I'm going to end up going back. So mm-hmm. I just try to act like it never happened. Mm-hmm. Then at work, that's really what happened. Mm-hmm. So I had only been using maybe a couple times and I did the needle one time, got scared to death. I probably would have continued using the needle if, it if I would have got it. But when my neck did that, I was scared to death. So I didn't use a needle no more after that. I just smoked one time. Only on my days off. I never, only my days off, and that was maybe two weeks. So two weeks I was into relapse. <clears throat> and I could kind of take it, really, honestly, when I'm smoking it, I could take it or leave it mm-hmm. pretty much on on that um, because I just can't. So anyway, with all that recovery and all that, that I still came to JSL and I was still working mm-hmm. at the thing. I knew I had... I knew I had to meet a certain level that I could not go back that way because I had no motivation. I had a job that I loved. Mm. I had JSL that I loved. I had all that that I loved. But when my investigation came up with my job that had nothing to do with anything that I did, mm. but because the investigation required me to do a drug test, I was in my third day of mm. being clean, and I got, I was past, uh, dirty, so I lost my job. Mm. So when I lost my job, to me, that's just... That was Her, it. Yeah, it was it. That I was saw it. you fall harder that was than it. you've ever fallen. I haven't been happy since then. Yeah. Because to me, I gave up. I worked so hard to get that job back. Yeah, and you were so good at it. You were the best they'd have. Yeah. He, yeah. And I disappointed myself. And I disappointed so many people. And I didn't care anymore. And then I had been dealing so much with it. My relatives, while I'm living with my grandma, Everything, anything went wrong, they would accuse me. And up to that point, I wasn't even guilty. Mm-hmm. But in their mind, I was. And so I started, when I lost my job, I'm like, well, I'm going to really look bad now. And I just went downhill and felt like that, you know, man, I'm being accused of all this stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And I didn't want to live with my grandma no more. I was planning to get out anyway. I was trying to save up money to get out. And um, so I wasn't kicked out. I decided to move out. But they told me, if you move out, you can't come back. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so... That's when I, you know, mm-hmm. took Leo's. Mm-hmm. And then so from there, I got into, I went mm-hmm. just downhill from mm-hmm. all of that. To me, when I lose something that means so much to me or something that I love, to me, is is um, it's over in my mm-hmm. head. And I continue to lose. I mean, you know, it was a small time of fixing to lose my cat. Mm-hmm. Everything I love, I lose. I almost mm-hmm. don't want to go to rehab because of my cat. I know well, it sounds crazy, but... No, it's not crazy. Because pets she's the only important. one that really loves me. Like, my cat. Yeah. Pets are important. We and, see that all the time, though. You're and not Mariah and my baby. It's like, like, I thought, man, this is great, God. This is you. I can see my daughter and my baby. And try to explain to her where she don't think that I relapse. Because if things are relapse, I'll never have a chance. <laughs> She'll get... I just don't have a chance. And so I thought, well, maybe I can just see hers or not. And then that was just like teasing me. Mm-hmm. You know, I ended up not getting to because Amanda, the, the thing's going, I'm not going to even see my grandbaby. My grandbaby, I'm really close to Tamira. Mm-hmm. It's not 
was so involved with her life. Like, I was getting to keep her all the time. I was really close to her. Mm. And um, they're, to me, all I've got right now here. And so I feel like, in a way, I'm I'm gaining and I'm losing at the same time. Yeah. But. So. Well, so what you're trying to say for recovery, because I think your biggest fear going to this short-term rehab is, is that. I'm giving up. I'm, again, even though my home life situation isn't the best, mm-hmm. it's still a home. Right. And I'm giving it up today knowing that I can never come back to it. Right. Okay. So after 30, 28 days, I don't have a guarantee of what's going to happen to me. Yeah. So I almost don't want to go to recovery because of that. Yeah. Not because I don't want to get better. In a perfect world, what does long-term recovery look like for women just like you who have been right where you're at? Women that there is, to me, there's a difference between being addicted and being, to me, I'm probably one of the worst, one of the worst addicts. I mean, I know that my addiction is so far gone and I've done it for so many years. I know what it's going to take for me. And honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I know that I have to be connected and have accountability, not so much in an institutionalized Mm -hmm. program, but I have to, I might can work up phases, but I have to always be accountable to someone or I will use. Mm -hmm. And I know that's where I'm at in my life. So responsibility. So long-term housing, long-term. Definitely. You, you would say, yes, a medical detox, yes, 28-day, but then after that, at that you same move up location. So, so if you could create one location. It would be about a place about this big. Yeah, exactly, wouldn't it? If when, we're looking it at start, a hospital. Yeah, and it would, start with, it would start with levels. You've got detox, mm-hmm. then you work up so far, then you got the next program. I would say after detox, you could do something like access. That would you be, think after your twenty-eight days? Yeah, for sure. after de- after twenty after thirty days, I would do after maybe even after ninety days. Yeah, I, because I think after detox, some hardcore. people yeah do ninety-day program and then because you want to be completely yeah, ninety days yeah. because a lot of stuff comes up healing that yeah. if you're not ready you could go back to that drug exactly and that's exactly what happened to my daughter. Yeah, Nick, I Nick. know. So, so I think maybe you need to be summer so- sober, at maybe least. even three months. Yeah, is that thirty, sixty, ninety, three? Yeah. Three months, so ninety yeah. days. Maybe do a. I wouldn't say maybe do a. And then some of access, I would say you need start introducing it. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. not get into the really hard healing stuff until mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. because that's when that's when. But I was at a good place because I had three years clean, so I could handle that. Mm-hmm. See, right. But I need to continue it. Yes. What and happened so, was wounds were getting open. The healing was happening, mm-hmm. and when I left, the. The, it's kind of like fly the nest. You're on your own. So those thoughts and those wounds are still open. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to, by what I learned, I've got to learn. I've got to put. I've got to get it healed mm-hmm. with me and God. And there's some people that are just not ready or strong enough for that. Mm-hmm. And because I'm numbing because I'm hurting, and mm-hmm. I'm also numb because I feel like I also self medicate. Mm-hmm. I feel like that me being on meth- amphetamines are the only thing that keeps me me and normal I have mm-hmm. to go use in order to go do anything like mm-hmm. today I'm not because I didn't have a choice and so mm-hmm. I've done cracked up today I've done screamed at people and I've done everything else and normally I won't do that because I don't want to hurt people yeah you didn't hurt me you know when you raised when, your when voice I, you I would have stayed home and just got high because yeah. I knew I wasn't at the weight place to go anywhere yeah but I didn't have a choice I had to I had a time, I had an appointment, and I had to meet it yeah. because I'm legally now in trouble. Yeah. Jail is not the answer for people. No. Jail makes you hard and mad. Yeah. Jail, as I can see, I was, I know now that I, the cops were asking me questions and doing things 
that they illegally, illegally they weren't supposed to do. I just was told about it, my lawyer. So I don't even trust. I really don't trust now. Yeah. Because <laughs> after before. they arrested you, they detained you for hours and hours. interrogated you, tried to get you to give up information. And, and he tells me, yeah, they'll drop the charges off, but he don't advise that I go be a spy for them. They mm -hmm. want me to be a spy for them, you know that? Dangerous. But anyway, so it's like I feel like that long term means... Recovery is forever, mm -hmm. forever. Even if you have 10 years, you might have a program where you've got housing for people that have yeah. had five years plus clean. Right. There's levels. You like don't little put, cottages with women yeah. and children. And you put them at levels. You don't put a person just come off the street off of drugs with a person that, with, that's had five years clean. I mean, they may be good mentors, but there's, that, yeah. that, would cause, that person could trip up and fall, though, Yeah. from that. You know, I had three years clean, and I relapsed. Of course, I saw the guy. I, I relapsed by seeing somebody, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Hey, you want to go get high?" You know, he, if I wouldn't run into that person, but I was, I can do bad by myself. Mm -hmm. But I was already in relapse mode. Mm -hmm. I was already in relapse mode because I was grieving, mm -hmm. and I was already. Yeah. I knew now it's physical. Yeah, I don't even have to be in any mode. Pretty much now, right now, I'm. It's a physical. I'm feeling physical now. Mm -hmm. I'm physically. If I don't get the drug, I'm going to hurt for the rest of the day and mm -hmm. not until Friday. Mm -hmm. And I'm still going to hurt because then I'm going to be in a, in a rehab mm -hmm. that's going to detox me. But mm -hmm. it's it's, still, it's going to be just as bad. But at least I won't go. I, the only thing, thing different about that is I can't go get the drug. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can walk out of there, though. That's yeah. scary poor. Yeah. But I, I won't because <laughs> I, I, I'm not everyone is motivated like I am I'm motivated on motivation if that makes any sense I can be encouraged and know that I'm loved and encouraged and love and encouragement can keep me somewhere yeah and keep me off the streets and that's and that's weird because even through the physical pain if I really feel like I'm loved and I'm cared for and this person's got me and they're gonna take care of me as long as I do what I'm supposed to do then I I can I can get clean by and I see that in you and I see that in other women because the truth is that's what traffickers and pimps use to keep you in the habit but they use love. We're, we're looking all for looking for love, but it's the wrong kind of love. Yes. Yeah. And so if you've got somebody who's like, "Baby, I'll take care of you. Baby, I'll give you a house. I'll give you. You just do this, this, and this. And that's, you'll take it." That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. But I'm having to give myself up every day to him. Yeah. To get, to get back, whatever I need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, pack a It doesn't matter what you know. I try. So I try to like not to get anything from him so mm -hmm. I don't feel like I owe him and then and then that just causes more problems because then I'm not taken care of mm -hmm. so I I just want to live a normal life where you know I, my situation is I'm 50 years old and I have so many health problems that I pretty much will be lucky to even live to see 55 if mm -hmm. I has even passed and I you're know, 50 um, well I'm 48, 48 I don't know 48. how old I am <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. Some people what say year I'm were you born? I'm 71. So I think okay. I'm 48. But, you know, I was given a year and a half ago now, I was given, you know, anywhere from two to four years. And mm -hmm. so that's reality. But I know God can heal me. But honestly, sometimes I pray that God won't. Mm -hmm. I do. Because I don't want to live life like this for the rest of my life. I can't, I can't even enjoy my grandkids, I can't mm -hmm. enjoy my daughter. Mm -hmm. To me, life has nothing but hurts every single day. And now I'm institutionalized, and apparently I'm not going to be able to live outside that. But I don't want to go to jail. 
No. Jail is not rehab. No. Jail, if anything, what jail does is makes you makes you want to use when you get out. Yeah. I had a needle in my arm when I got out 12 years ago. Mm. I had a needle in my arm, and I could still see the towers at Gatesville. I could still see it. Wow. I already had a needle in my arm. For How? It, Where'd you get it? From the girlfriend that picked me up. Wow. Just ready to use. Because right I didn't have recovery set up right yeah. afterwards. And um, I had wrote a lot of people, and Grace House mm-hmm. was one of them, and, mm-hmm. and my letters went to another Grace House here in Waco somewhere, a church. Mm-hmm. And my letters went to the wrong place. And that's just a testimony itself. So I just thought, well, see, they don't even care. So why am I mm-hmm. care? So I didn't have a choice but the person that picked me up. And I knew that she still did dope. And she had it ready for me. So wow. and that was after years and years, and there, and so wow. there I go. Yeah. You know. And I knew I had to be with her. Right. Because I had nowhere else to go. So, it's just... Well, I I dream of a long-term you place... You have a place like this someday. ...of recovery. There's a lot of police. <laughs> this is actually a retirement home. So, please, please start working on that because I'm going to have to live in this section of retirement. I will be the I, old lady over here in this little... You know, the interesting thing, I did this silent... <coughs> retreat at this monastery which is like a place where nuns live right so over the summer I went and and they follow this Benedictine monk order where it's like you work together you eat together and once you become a nun they don't ever send you out to hospice or out to a nursing home they you stay with them oh well by and they are by your side until you take your last well, breath well I'd probably be a nun would probably be a little good thing for me to be <laughs> And Please don't have to but worry what about was any. so beautiful about it is that, and here's an, here's an interesting thing too, is that they said in the 19, oh, what was it? 19, well, when they started 1930s, maybe the convent in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, <coughs> there were 300 nuns. Mm-hmm. They're down to 33 now. They're oh, having wow. to sell their building. So there was 300 sisters living together, working together, taking care of their community and the community in Fort Smith and selling goods to the public. That's the way it's supposed to be, I think, though. Yeah, and and now it's dwindled to 30, which I'm sure some of that's about the the church and Catholicism and stuff like that. But the beauty of that is, you know, like, they take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And I I think for women who have been so traumatized by their birth families even or been out on the streets, we're all looking for family and for community. And that's why I'm scared to let my family even sees that. You know, the first thing my mom said the other day, when I told her about this, I'm so glad you got Emily in your life to help you. Because mm-hmm. they know that they can't really give me what I need, but they know I've got good people. Mm-hmm. And they stand behind y'all on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's, that's because that to me is encouraging for me because my family are... They've never liked anyone. They didn't think anyone that I had in my life was good mm-hmm. for me. And I know that they approve, and I know that, that they trust. Mm-hmm. And that helps me mm-hmm. to be able to do what I need to do. But I was going to tell you, I know I don't like cameras, but I'm willing. I will help you whatever you need to do to help other people. Mm-hmm. Because, because I know that God has given me a gift of to either help someone get mm-hmm. something started I'm not strong enough to do it, mm-hmm. but I believe in recovery mm-hmm. and I know what it takes. I know that's the thing is I know my boundaries. I know what it takes. I know what causes me to use. I, you know how stubborn you are. I know how stubborn <laughs> I am. I know it took me years and years 
to see why I was doing it and what it, yeah. and what I need to do to fix it. I know yeah. I got the tools. Yeah. I just need help using them sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Well, you need community. You can't have will, all the tools and not have community. I will give. I will help you with anything to get anything mm. started. I will tell my story. Mm-hmm. And there's so many weight, different parts of my story that can help so many different yeah. things, you know? Right. And, you know. You have a purpose. Also, you have a purpose. And there's a reason why you, with all your health issues and as much dope as you've done, girl, most you you most people I should would be dead. You should be. I should have been dead the other night. The cops said I mean, you should have seen the levels of the crap that was in my body. I should have been dead when I went to the emergency room. I and mean, when they resuscitated you, yeah. I've been on. I've been in a coma. And it's so. I've, yeah, there's. I've there's driven a, backwards in, on um in Dallas at uh, ten o'clock at night. I was driving backwards in, in a separate lane coming off a of, uh, heroin, oh and woke God. up and and. Hit a guard thing, and that's what woke me up. And there was not wow. one person on the road. That's a miracle. Wow. Not one, and it was Dallas. Not one person was on the road. Wow. And for God to clear that highway for me, because I you know I went all over it, and I didn't even get stopped. I remember just pulled over. And I slept it off, and I didn't even, you know, it's a miracle. When I think about how many times God saved me, sometimes I get there was times I got angry, like oh, I just mm-hmm. let me die. Well, please, sure, on, please, you know. I know there's a purpose for me, and I know that's why the enemy fights me so hard. That's right. Because I don't know what it is doing, but I want my life to end with a purpose. I want my life to end with saying that I helped somebody mm-hmm. get recovered. Because that's my heart. Mm-hmm. You're such a caretaker. One reason I'm in so much trouble is because I let people in my car, you know, eat me. Because yeah. I want to help all the hookers in Waco, and I, don't, yeah. I know better than that because I wasn't at a place to do that. Yeah. And, I know I started going to relapse mode. I didn't get it from her, mm. but I started going to relapse mode the day that she mm-hmm. showed me all the meth that she had. I'm like, literally the physical mm-hmm. draw. Physically, my body started physically wanting, but I didn't because I mentally knew I did, you know. Mm-hmm. But I still played that mind in my yeah. mind, in my mind, oh, over yeah. and over and over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it don't take anything. I mean, I can be anywhere and find it. That's not the problem at all. But being in Waco, I think it's more easily accessible because mm-hmm. I'm well-known. And yeah. I have a lot of old clientele that, you know, I just, I know how to get what I want. And yeah. But my main thing is I feel like the, a lot of times I don't tell people to say they don't make an excuse for using drugs. Well, number one, this this could be sound like an excuse, but it's really reality. So whatever you want to call it. My main reason for continuing to use and not get clean is because I don't have any hope after I get hope. Hmm. That's basically what it is. You don't have hope after you get hope. I get hope by going to the, going to the nexus. Mm-hmm. That's hope. Okay. I don't have any hope after that because I don't have any. There's nothing. What do you mm-hmm. do then? Yeah. To the world, you're still the old same person. Mm-hmm. My family still don't trust me. Mm-hmm. My mom's just gaining that much trust. And if mm-hmm. she finds out, then she's going to be gone again. Mm-hmm. And my family may never so mm-hmm. I would just put on a piece of paper that I don't have family that biological family mm-hmm. that will ever support me because I can never depend that they will and so what do you do then you 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 have to prove trust to people so what do you do in the meanwhile mm-hmm. <clears throat> where do you go you have no money and if you have a record like me you don't good luck getting a job mm-hmm. and well, I think the grief, you know, is, is an interesting component. And so I do think, I know you hate counselors, but community helps because 
community, you're talking with people, you're engaging, you know, you're talking about some hard things, but you know, I think you do have to acknowledge the work that grief, you know, has played and, and that's been, counselors are good. I, I, I believe in counselors. It's just, I have trust issues and that's just something that I have to overcome. And I'm able to like get counseled a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like you're not, maybe you're not a professional counselor, but (laughs) you probably helped me more than definitely not a counselors helped me. You know, I mean, because I have trust issues. I don't, Emily, you're the only one that I tell as much Mm -hmm. to. I probably wouldn't be, I wouldn't be getting help right now if I wouldn't have been honest. You knew that Mm -hmm. I relapsed. Well, you could, I think you kind of, I probably kind of got caught, but Mm -hmm. you got caught, but 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 you're honest that, you know, I mean, I mean, I know what I'm going to do between yeah. now and Friday. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, Brett's there. I know you're not going to lie to me. Oh. Okay, well, we're here with Linda. Linda's in the house. <laughs> Linda is in the house, and it is just incredible to yes. see her clear eyes and her um, full heart and just... You know, the last time she was in my car and in this seat, she was high as a kite, higher than anyone I'd probably had in my car. But the conversation that we had was just, she started it off by saying, this is what I see. And she was talking so honestly about her addiction. She was headed into recovery because really the choice was prison or recovery. And so that was pre-treatment. Her last, the last time you as a listener heard Linda's voice was... Um, her getting ready to make the hard choice to go into treatment. So a couple of things I want to bring you up to speed on was that one of the things Linda shared was that, okay, so I can have hope for 28 days, but where's the hope after this? I have hope and then I don't have hope. And so she, she brought us into this conversation of how challenging it is for women in addiction to go through recovery programs because the long-term help and the long-term aftercare is just really hard to come by and you don't you don't know what's going to be next and there's not a real clear path laid out or a lot of resources that help with that long-term aftercare um and so here so she did the brave choice i mean she stayed through the recovery program for 30 days 20 she did 25 out of 28 and um and so i'm just gonna let her bring us into what those what that 28 day program was like and then bring us up to speed on where she's at now so how you doing i'm doing good so i'm so glad to um be in this seat and be sober and it's just like i'm looking at the sky right now as we drive and it's just um it's so beautiful that um god rescued me once again and that i am um (laughs) yeah i'm just looking at things a whole different way but i've been so blessed so yes i did go to a 28 day program i'm not gonna lie i i kicked and fought it (laughs) I had a very sweet lady that um, took me, and um, bless her heart. Um, <laughs> Props was, to Dawn. We can say yes, Dawn. <laughs> thank you, Dawn, for putting up with me because I was way out there. Yeah. So I thought it would be really um, – well, here's what happened. Yeah, tell us what happened. So my, my little plan got all messed up. So I wasn't supposed to fall asleep the night before because I had been so high. So I thought, well, if I just stay awake, I can sleep on the way to recovery, and I can just gently get out of – 
the car and go into recovery and sleep for three to five days. <laughs> that was my plan. Well, I nodded off and went to sleep. So when I woke up, it was actually literally three minutes before Dawn was to be at my door. So I'm freaking out. My cat's running away from me. You know, she's like so scared that she's peeing on the floor. I'm like, <laughs> woke up my grandma like, I need coffee. And I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? So because I went to sleep for a while, my body wants to get high again. Yeah, so that's the cycle, right? Yes. It's, this is physiological what we're talking here. Yes. So you do dope like this and you immediately introduce this drug to interact with your physical, chemical wiring. Yes. Yeah, so you wake up and it's like get high. Get high. Yeah. And that's and especially I'm thinking, okay, well I'm going to recovery. Oh well all the more to get high, you know. <laughs> last, last time. <laughs> last time. Body. And so I really don't know what I had planned on doing with the extra, but I remember looking in the bag and thinking, oh, I just had, I thought I had a little, but I actually had more than what I thought, and which that wasn't good. Mm. So I'm thinking, well, I've got to get rid of it, you know, and maybe if I do it all, I'll just be high for three to five days or something, and it'll last to me, and, you know, I'll be okay. I can get through this recovery. That's the way my mind was thinking. Oh, that's the way my mind was thinking because I just, you know, I wanted it to to numb and just go through this easily and so I went into the bathroom and I I saw it up and I smoked and I snorted I did probably three grams at least um <laughs> that's a lot probably the most I've ever done so at one time smoked snorted shot up yes the most I had ever done at one time in and in my life wow. at one time. You know, I've done that over the period of the day, but I did this all at one time. And um, I flushed the baggie in the commode and I automatically started throwing up. Um, here I have Dawn in my house talking to my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny, but we can laugh about it now because it's, it's, it's insane, right? It really is saying and I remember seeing my grandma sitting on this stool in the middle of the kitchen and I'm like you know for me I was looking at her she looked you know a little kind of funny yeah. but I mean everything looked kind of funny at the, I mean my cat didn't even look like a cat wow. like I'm thinking oh no what have I done so I really did get scared inside there was a there there was a fear like oh my gosh I could actually die yeah and I got really scared and thought I'm gonna play this off you know I'm okay I'm okay and so Dawn looks at me, and I know she looked at me, and she, she's thinking, oh, no, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Got to put her in my car for two hours. <laughs> and I think she called, did she call you? Yeah, she told me you were so high. She goes, Emily, she's really high. And I said, well, she's been really high for the past seven, several months. I mean, since Access let out. You know, I said, yeah. she's, she's been getting high. And she said, well, like... I don't know if she's going to get in the car. Like, I don't know if, you know, she's just really high. And I was like, does she need to go to the hospital? Is she coherent? Is she? And she's like, yeah, she's, I mean, she's walking around. She's getting stuff done. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. Okay. I was getting stuff done. Um, but, yeah, I heard her saying something like this. She's really high. And then she asked me, she says, so you, you're you high with Emily sometimes? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, and oh yeah, every day yeah. she's like this high. So I think she was just, you know, because she saw me, so she probably thought, "How in the world does Emily do this?" And I'm, I'm in to, for context. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, 
So I'm out of state with Hattie while all this is happening. So we've arranged the recovery bed for her at the treatment facility. We've arranged Dawn to give her a ride. So everything's kind of on a timeline. Yes. Everything's on a system. Except I'm, for me. I'm, yeah. I'm out of state and everything's supposed to go smoothly. So their system was going a lot different than my system was going. Um, so I remember getting in the car and we had a conversation. I, I believe we had a good conversation. And I remember all of a sudden we drive up and I'm like, what are we, what are you doing? Are you stopping to go to the restaurant? She said, no, we're here. I said, no, there's no way we could be here. We like been in the car from like, I said, didn't we go to Dallas from Waco? She said, yeah, we're here. I was like, we only been in the car for like two minutes. <laughs> That's how high I was. I yeah. just want to paint this picture so that you can see the beauty of it because I mean, I was so gone that I literally thought I was in the car for two minutes and I've been in the car for two hours. And when we drove up, I saw cameras everywhere. I mean, Emily loves to take me places with cameras anyway. And I'm like, I, and I asked her, I said, so Emily put me in this place because she knows I don't like cameras. <laughs> Emily knows I don't like cameras. And so there was cameras in the bushes. There was, you know, because it's a, it's a um, rehab facility. So, of course, they've got tweakers like me coming. They're going to have cameras. So I remember them coming out and they were so nice. I wanted to take all the stuff that I wasn't allowed to take it. And they're just like, let her take it, you know, yeah. you know, and I think I took a whole bunch of things that I wasn't supposed to have, but she can have this extra blanket, whatever it took to get me out. And, um, it was a fight to get me out of the car. I don't know how long, but they finally got me out. And I remember just going in the place and I mean, I was climbing over there. Um, yeah. reception office. Yes. And I called you. Yeah. And I was literally in this lady's lap talking to Emily, oh and I just remember that. And so these people knew how I came in, but unfortunately, because my blood pressure was 240 over 210, um, something wow. like that, I w immediately had to go to the hospital. Um, I was and, and Dawn had turned around and left. Dawn was headed back to Waco after getting you cigarettes and putting them in your stuff. That which, didn't, didn't even know what she did. Yeah. But... So she turns around, she's headed back home because she's got kids and got stuff to do. And all is supposed to go well getting in to recovery. But we had no idea. We knew she was high, but we didn't know how high and we didn't know her blood pressure would, would be, like how in danger you were. Yes. You were you were in danger of stroke. another stroke. I yes. mean, you've had strokes before and... Uh, and so that's when they called me, you called me, I'm in Kentucky, and it's like, how do we get her to the hospital? We can't take her. Yes. I said, can an ambulance? They said no, because um, they would be responsible for that bill, I yes. think. Yes, they, they, they had to get me off the property. They had to get you off the property because they didn't want to be responsible if you had a stroke. Yes. So Uber has a great feature now where you, and I've learned this with, with our friend Linda, I can schedule an Uber if needed for safe transportation uh -huh. um and i did that um and they got, they got you quick. they got you very quickly and got you to uh the hospital she yes the uber driver actually was very nice and actually had to get a wheelchair and get me in there i was um i remember just kind of like just nodding out i was going out i was be huh, i was really kind of getting scared i remember my breathing getting rapid and kind of getting scared 
Um, the doctor said that he doesn't know because it wasn't showing up exactly, but I probably had a couple of strokes because my, my blood pressure was so high. So here I am, I'm in the hospital, I got IVs and I got all this going and um, you know, uh, then it was time to, to, get, to get out, to go home, whatever. And, and it's night. It's night and it's Dallas and it's downtown. And, and Nexus is closed yeah. for the recovery. Yeah, yeah the you re can't, Nexus you can't, is closed for the weekend. Yeah, you can't get back, it's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. Yeah. So they're closed, I can't get back in. And I'm like, okay, so what's gonna happen? And I didn't, you know, there was offer us thing to go to the psych ward. I'm like, ah, I'm not doing that. You know, I gotta remember I was still pretty high, yeah. even though they, they flushed. I mean, they gave me IV bags and stuff like that, but I still had it in me. Yeah. And I was actually coming down, so I was very defiant, uh -huh. and I'm not a very nice person when I come off drugs. And so I argued with poor Emily on the phone. She was trying to make all these arrangements for me, help me out the best she could to have people come help me, but nothing was working in my nothing. mind. Well, and, and all the shelters were full. And that was the other just resourcing, resourcing this woman, you know, who desires to go into treatment and she's willing to go, but now the, the places are full, except you did have a choice to go to the psych ward. Yeah. But that was off the table for yeah, you. I wasn't doing it. And... And so, you know, there there was some choices. But then right there at the end, I'm like, I'm just going to hitchhike and go back to Waco and get uh -huh. high again. That's what I was going to do because I was coming down. And so I was very vulnerable. It would have been very easy. And not only would I have to go to Waco, I was sitting right next to a guy that offered me dope. So I was like, oh, no. But he wanted me to do something for it. And I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm too sick for that. Like, I've yeah. just been through so much. I couldn't even, I turned it down because I couldn't even physically think about even doing that but let's just, I just want this is the world this is the world we live in so you have a woman who is still high who is is getting off dope at a hospital uh -huh. and there is a guy there uh -huh. waiting soliciting sex from yes. you you hadn't even been out of the hospital for two hours and you already get offered dope for sexual favors yes yeah I yes. mean it's it's and, it's everywhere and vulnerable so, I mean, women yeah. are prey I kept telling Emily, Emily, you just don't know. And so I hung up. And what she wanted me, well, here's what the glory of this is what's so beautiful. And I thought about this later. So I was being defiant and I really wasn't wanting to help myself. I would just have one thing in my mind and that was to go use. So she wanted me to call this lady that she got for me. Her name is Courtney and she's with Rescue Hope. Well, I kept telling her, well, my phone's messing up. I can't call. You know, I was just making excuses to tell you the truth. Yeah. Because I was really making arrangements <laughs> behind her back about yeah. what I wanted to do just in case plan A didn't work. Right. You know, and it, survivor mode. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's when right. I get in survivor mode, it's not a good thing. Yeah. And so I didn't call. So Emily calls back. Did you call Courtney? And I'm like, no. And I think Emily's like, got to get frustrated. Like, you know, I asked you to call Courtney. And so... I said, okay, well, I'll call her right now with you on the line and show you that she's not, you know, my phone's not working well. Courtney answered, I think, yeah. at one ring. And then Emily says, oh, I'm, so I'm planning with Courtney to come pick me up and take me to a shelter where I was probably going to sleep by 100,000 people that I didn't know. It wasn't, might not have been a good thing, but it would have got me safe for the night. And I'm over here planning it, and Emily's on the other line listening. Well, I got my phone, and she's listening, and she says, oh, well, something just came through. And I'm, like, thinking later. You know, I feel like it was because I was obedient finally, and went ahead and called Courtney, 
you know, and God was wanting to see my obedience, that I was going to go ahead and sacrifice and leave the dope alone and go sacrifice to something less that this family, the Morgans, which you'll hear a lot about, whose family said, hey, I can help her. Yeah. And when Emily told me that, I said, you mean I'm going to get to sleep in a bed? <laughs> like a real bed with a real family? I'm like, do they know I'm a drug addict, Emily? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they know. It's okay, Angela. Yeah. So on my end of things, um, was totally being defiant. And I also know Linda was being defiant. And yes. Linda, on my end of things, Linda was um, also incredibly scared and doing all she knew to do, which was try to manipulate the situation to go get high again because her body is still doped up yeah, and, and her body is still wanting. And, um, and so on my end of things, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, I just kept saying, we, we have got to pray for something to come through and I love you. And at one point you go, you don't love me. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I you was... don't love me. You dropped me off here. <laughs> and you are not getting me back to yeah. Waco. And you don't love me at all. I mean, yes. it was, it was low. Yeah, it it was. was, it was low. And, and the beauty in this is that I was nowhere near. Yes. Like I had to practice all my Al-Anon steps, which was, you got to release like, there is no way to control what is going to open up and what's going to happen here. You're out of the state. You're here with your daughter to make her experience of this incredible volleyball tournament happen. And you've got to be present for that, Emily. And this is this is Linda's addiction. This is not you didn't. And I remember at one point, I don't know if you remember, but I said, I love you. And I didn't shoot the dope in yeah. your neck this morning. Yes. You know, and I remember saying something in a selfish way. Well, you knew I was gonna do it. I mean, I was gonna do it one more time. You know, like she really knows that. But yes, <laughs> thank you that Emily has. <laughs> thank you for grace, and well, that she has forgiven me because I acted out. And well, I know that. And you know, we at, in that moment. I remember I was in the hotel bathroom while I'm on the line with Linda. And I've got my journal out and I've got all the numbers of all the shelters and people who we connect with in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to see if they can get to her. And it, by now, it's about 10, 1030. 10, I mean, it's it's late. It's getting late. And I'm it's getting late. Next to, um, I'm sitting, so the, they have this county hospital where they actually let the bums come in yeah. and sleep at night. So I did not realize this. I saw people coming in, and this one guy that was sitting by me said, Hey, we got the best spot. I said, The best spot for what? He said, Well, because we're going to all sleep here tonight. He said, Don't worry, I'll keep you safe. I'm like, Oh, Lord. <laughs> and I'm like, Emily, you don't understand. You don't understand where I'm at. But you know what? I'm glad Emily was where she was. And I'm glad God allowed me to be where I was because I sat and looked. Okay, I've been pretty low in my drug days. But I've never had a sleep with bums. Yeah. Okay. And so my heart also went out for them in a way. A matter of fact, when I got picked up, I looked back at them and Marie said, what, what, what's wrong? I said, I just feel bad leaving them. Like I wanted to help them because I felt, man, I'm going to a safe place, but I have to leave all these people that are sick on drugs and that are bums. And they're all, and they did, they all yeah. were covering in together, going to the bathroom and using. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Lord, you know, I don't even have to hitchhike. It's right here. But then this family, you know, I'll be yeah. there at 11. 
And well, I'm, yeah. So, and I'll bring you up to me on that. So, yeah. so, to, so I'm in the bathroom. We're having this conversation. She's like, I am sitting in this hospital with bums. Emily, I have never been here before. And I'm like, this is your addiction. This is where it brought you. And she's like, no, if, if my family knew they would never allow this. And I was like, but your family isn't here and your family <laughs> failed yeah, you. Know where that came from. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, you know, this is where your addiction brought you. So we need to pray. We need to pray hard. Like, and I just remember writing in my journal among all these numbers, the only thing, and i saw it the other day when I went back and looked through my, um, my notes and it just, it's literally Jesus help Jesus come Jesus save, Jesus rescue, Jesus please. I mean, one word, one, I mean, just Jesus. I yes. mean, I can't even, we have no answers. We have no lead. And after I had got done writing all that, you're, we're on the line. Courtney is on the line with you. You know, she's trying to figure out if a shelter, it's already 10 or 1030. It's late. We don't even know if you could get accepted. And right then I just heard call Marie ask Marie and I'm like Marie like our board member's wife Marie who's a nurse practitioner call Marie and Marie used to work at this hospital um, as a nurse and she'd recently gone into her own private practice for nurse practitioner and she'd also been texting me a couple weeks earlier saying I want to be involved one-on-one I have a heart for a clinic for women I want to be involved with women in Dallas who are in recovery um from addiction in the sex industry. And if there's ever a need, you just, you just, and I was like, Oh my gosh, is she, is she serious? I'm just going to text her. And so I, I mean, I think the worst one I did. I was, I was like, Hey, Mer-, I gave her the lowdown. I was like, um, I got a girl. She's at Parkland. She's high still. She's, she's been dis- discharged. You know, she's got to go back to recovery on Monday, but I need a place for her through the weekend. Um, do you think you could go pick her up and help? And literally Marie was like, absolutely. I'm on my way. So that's who, that's where you went. Um, after that, talk to me about, uh, enter the Morgans and what they have meant. Like what happens when she picks you up? Okay. So Marie picks me up. I've never met her before. And she has this beautiful smile. I remember just her helping me get in. Like, and she's like, okay, it's going to all be okay. And she just gave me a hug. And I, I remember her looking at her. I said, you know, I'm a drug addict, right? She said, oh yeah, that's fine. I said, well, do you have a family? Oh yeah. I have three teenagers. I said, are they okay with that? Said, oh yeah. You're going to sleep in one of my daughter's room tonight. Cause she's on a little slumber party. And I'm thinking, I'm like, really? She said, yeah, Emily, Emily, Emily said that you were, you know, it's okay. I, I trust Emily. I trust what they, you know, and, and, and so I'm like, okay, well, thank you. And then she's like, are you hungry? And of course I was starving. I hadn't ate all day. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'm hungry. And she goes and gets me this food and I'm eating and, and I'm walking into the house. And I mean, her children and her husband were standing there. Welcome. Like it was almost like just walking into heaven me like just welcoming me and I remember and as I walked in I remember something I told Emily when I was so hot I just want to be in a family and a family that loves me and Emily said you can do that but right now you got to get sober like you can't just you know and so this family just welcomed me in well the weekend ended up going into a week because um I I went and I had to do some uh a business in Waco with the trouble that I got because I had picked up a charge and um so I had to go to Waco and 
Marie's like, I'll take her to Waco. So, you know, meanwhile, this family's just loving me. We were laughing, you know, I'm, I'm, I still was coming down a little bit and it was a really easy. I said, man, I've never come down this well. Like I just transformed. I mean, I just went from being so high to coming down and not being sick. Like I usually get really sick and I didn't. And I know that was because I was just in the, in a peace. Like, you know, God just had me. And, um, before you know, it, it was a week. And then, um, this family took me and got my medical going. I mean, my medical was just out of whack. I didn't have the medicines I should have been taking. Um, I had oh, and the beauty was that Marie, just with her specialty, yes. I mean, with her field, she, and that's also why I felt really comfortable when God said, call Marie. It just was a perfect fit because you exactly. were so sick I was so and sick. I knew you were so sick. And so for her to be able to oversee and talk with doctors and get yes. you established medical care was huge. Yeah. So she said, can I do an assessment? I'm like, of course, you know? And so she did an assessment on me. She got me, you know, got me on track with everything. And then, um, finally I get in, I get into Nexus, you know, and it's been about a week later. Um, and of course I go in looking different cause I, I am down, you know, I've come down and I'm not using, of course it took a long time for it to really get out of my body, but I was feeling good. I slept and I had ate and, um, went back into uh, care and was like, man, you know, you look a lot different now, but went into care. And of course the first night I wanted the first day when I, when I got in there the right way, this time I walked in there the right way <laughs> and I filled out my paperwork the first time I didn't, I think they forgot about paperwork, but, um, and so I, of course the first night, you know, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to be here. This no, you know, and I did try to run about seven times within the first two or three days. Yeah. Um, because you know, I'm fighting that okay, I want to do right, but I, I want this and I want that, you know. All of a sudden, you know, I think I deserve all this luxury and stuff. And, yeah. you know, but I stuck it out. And um, I had great, great counselors, which I, counselors, counseling is something I never really wanted to do. Um, I was dealing with very, very hard grief. And I, I know that that's what spiraled me into addiction and was the grief that I was going yeah. through. Um, but then I was able to get with the, they had a specialized grief counselor and I was able to do some things and um, go through that. And they said, hey, we're fixing to have a memorial. This was like almost the end of my, well, about the two weeks into being in treatment. They said, we're going to have a memorial for women that we've lost through Nexus. And we have a, a, a serenity garden where we put plaques. So they offered for me to, they said, would you write your daughter's story, present it to us? And we'll prove it, and then we'll put your daughter on a plaque, and we'll have a memorial. Wow. And I thought, you know, I thought, man, for someone to love me and care for me that much, don't even know me, and for the Morgans and how I just got there, and for Emily and how all the transformation, I started looking at everything and how beautiful it was. And I wrote my daughter's story, and I read it to 200 and about 250 people. And I was, and then, you know, we honored that. And I'm telling you, I've never had so many hugs before in my life. Like, Emily, they just came up to me hugging me and crying crying because it, the story of, of how I lost my daughter from drugs, how, how it impacted them in their life. And then even over the last week and even over to my graduation, um, I had a girl that came to me that wanted to know about God, and I led her to God. 
And then I knew that I wasn't only at Nexus for me and for my addiction, but I was there to help someone else. And I was able to share the love of God. I was able to, I was witnessing with Morgans one day when they went to get an x-ray. I mean, I was able to, God was able to, to bring out in me what I knew I had in me, what he gave me, which was to tell the world about Jesus because I love I, I love to witness to people and and I think <clears throat> this is something that was just so it's been so beautiful in my transformation of why the work of Jesus said love has changed my life because I think the assumption is like all these people are so lost yes. and all these people don't know Jesus and it's not true, though. Like, there are so many women in the sex industry, and there's so many women in addiction who actually love Jesus yes. so much and um, and know God in a different way. Like, yeah, can you just—you you do have such a special connection with, with God, yes. you know? And what, what does— what does God mean to you? What has God meant to you through just your life? Because you've been through some hard yes. stuff and you've never, I'm not saying that, you know, all of us face different disappointments with God and struggles with God and things like that. But, but your faith has just amazed me. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I think that's probably why I dealt with so much shame when I would relapse because I, I do have a very personal relationship with Jesus, and I love Him so much. And it was through other recovery homes and through other ministries, too, that just to show me the love of God. Because because of my abuse, I did not see God as a heavenly God. I didn't see Him as a loving God. I, you know, I didn't see Him as that. But as I grew to know that Jesus was a loving Father, that He was my Papa, that He was my Daddy, when I really saw that, I got a personal relationship with Him, and I had... You know, um, I, I just had a deep desire to live for God and to help others. I mean, I feel like God has called me in the ministry to help women that have been in addiction like me. But I, when I fell, I fell so hard that I didn't feel worthy of it yeah. anymore. I didn't feel like I had a purpose. I didn't. I felt hopeless. I really didn't have any hope. And the day that I was driven to Dallas, I'm gonna tell you, I had zero hope. And I, if it wasn't, yes, I had a be the one to initially say yeah I want to get help and yes I'm going to stay and do this because nobody was making me do it right but if I didn't have Jesus said love and the Morgan family if I didn't have this net of love I would have never gotten to where I am today and my net of love has grown so much my desire has always been I want to be a little kid again and be loved by a family something that I did not receive when I was a child, and I'm really getting to do it, man. I am. I'm, so the Morgans are still 100% in my life. I go to soccer games. I go to their house. I'm with them all the time. I love them to pieces. They call me and tell me good night. Their daughters are. I'm. I just love them. I have such a sweet um, relationship with the oldest daughter, and we just like she's real protective over me, and I just think that's so cute, you know. And just loves me. And um, I was. Um, looking for Oxford houses and they so, were, so I'm going to stop you right okay. here okay so you get through this so you stay Marie over the weekend she gets you to Nexus you do the 25 days there uh -huh. and y'all are still in contact you're still you know Marie's visiting you oh, yeah. and 
and you're talking to her every night and um it is a net of love it's a it's a family you've been adopted into a family which is what we know regarding addiction that's actually why you used in the first place yeah because there was broken family let me back up just a little bit because I have trust issues, and I really, these people were telling me all these things that they're going to be there for me, and they're going to do this, and, we're, you know, I was hearing all these wonderful things. It was, to me, it was too good to be true, and even when I was at their house, I was always thinking, oh, when are they going to stop loving me? When am I going to be too much? When is, when is all this goodness going to stop, you know? And I have been one, even with Emily, I, over the years, the love that she gives me, sometimes I would push her away because love would scare me. I didn't, I didn't know how to accept love because every time I love, I feel like I lose it. And so the, um, I remember Marie looking at me and saying, I said, but you're not going to never come back. You're just dropping me off and, I'm, and that's it. She says, Angela, I know this is hard. And she said, I know actions are going to speak louder than my words. And her, their actions did. Yeah. Because who was there for me when I had a visitation day? Who was there for me when with smiles opening their doors up again when I got out and I graduated they were Mother's Day Mother's Day we plant a tree we have people come over we have a birthday cake we have all kinds of things to do in remembrance of my daughter and also just it was the most beautiful Mother's Day I've ever had in my life and um, what do you want to eat steak well I got a steak bigger than my head you know I mean (laughs) (laughs) you know it was so cool that they would let me be with them on Mother's Day. Yeah. Mother's Day is a special time between your kids and your mother. And a lot of people like to spend it together just with their family. Yeah. But they let me be a part. And I think the thing that you're hearing in this is and that, you know, and JSL does have great vision for, you know, some extended aftercare programs. I mean, we, we definitely know that there's gaps that need to be filled. But the truth of the matter is... The love of a family, and if families and people will open their doors and open their hearts, because there are orphans who are 50 years old. There, there are orphans, there are women who are 50 years old yes. who need yes. a family. And, and Linda is an example of needing a family like this. And so it's just beautiful what the Morgans offered. So um, I just want to ask now if... If you can talk a little bit before we wrap up, what made this recovery different? Because I know you're just, you're 35 or 37. How many days out? How many days clean do you Um, have? I'm 36 days clean. Okay. So you got 36 days. What made this recovery, because you've been to 18 rehabs probably over your laugh. Yeah. So what's different did you just run out of gas did you finally surrender did what what's different now about your hope as you move forward because now you're in an oxford house so you don't live with the morgans now you're independently living you're getting your feet back under you know on the ground you're getting your head clear you are still connected with the morgan family they're still you know you don't have a car so there's still rides and stuff they're helping with and you're going to soccer games and but you're living on your own you're doing your community um at the oxford house but why does this feel different well 
this time is different because number one, I did run out of gas, yeah. and I did completely surrender. I, I I really feel like all the years that I was surrendering, I don't know if it was completely me surrendering. I think I was surrendering with people holding my hands up yeah. to surrender me, yeah. and that's just the way I want to look at it. Because this time, I can see I see pictures when God speaks to me, and I can see me just putting both of my arms up to heaven, saying, "Okay, God, here I am," yeah. because I. I didn't know what else to do with myself. I've never really felt to the point hopeless where I didn't care if that bad. bump killed me. Yeah, yeah, you were, yeah. You were at death's door. Yeah, and I, I've never been, I've, I've always been fearful, okay, well, let me be careful with these drugs. I don't want to die. I want to still be high and have a good life, but I didn't care anymore. I did not care anymore, and that's why I know I was at the end, and this time is so different from my recovery like i'm in my step study now like i take the big book seriously i take going to meetings seriously you have a sponsor i have a sponsor i have two sponsors i have a sponsor and a sponsor and which is awesome and you're going to counseling i'm going to counseling (laughs) i'm going to iop which is intensive care outpatient i'm doing drug classes every day i'm doing not only am i doing that but i'm also doing a healing book on um the sex trafficking and stuff Mm -hmm. that just just idea for that I'm doing a whole different class and so I've got so much healing going and but what really I'm gonna have to just say this what really really this time has really showed me is love and that's why I love the name Jesus said love because the love that I have felt and the support that I have felt has given me so much motivation to carry on like none other and I know some people might take the four-letter word very lightly but I don't because love means so much to me and I have seen that people care they have risked I mean Emily has come before in the hood and I'm like Emily are you crazy this is the hood she's risked her life the Morgans came and picked me up at 11 o'clock with all these bumps coming out and like risked their life and done things as a sacrifice they sacrificed for me sacrificed time for me they sacrificed for me when I saw that even Emily on her time off with sacrificing her time and her love for me you know it meant so much to me even though I was a little brat and I know that she's forgiven me but it really does mean a lot to me and um even entering Waco right now as we're talking I haven't been here since I was high and I'm yeah. going through meth mead which is bell yeah. mead um yeah. I call it meth mead and I'm looking and I see I know I know a neighborhood over here and I'm thinking you know what it doesn't even affect me like that yeah because I know that I have a safety net of love and I'm going back to a life. Like what I was living, I thought was life, was not life. I actually look forward to the days to come. I look, I feel like I have a future, like the Oxford house. That was a blessing within itself. They were all eight and eight fifty a month per person. That's a lot, that's like two twelve a month. I mean, I mean a week. Per person, and for me, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have a job yet. You know, I'm just doing odd jobs. He blessed me with a beautiful house that's so peaceful that Emily actually walked in today and saw, and it's 470 a month, and you couldn't beat that. And I've got girls that like they say like you just came home. It's like we've known you, and I just fit in with them, and we all like we're we accountable to each other. Um, and I just love that, and like I, I look forward to even, I look forward to today, to coming to Waco and seeing people. But I also look forward to going back home because I know that I have a life there, and I know that it's just begun. Yeah. And as we come back in to Waco, crossing the Brazos River, and um, yeah, the the East Side, and this is 
this was the place, you know, of, of, um, yeah, spiral and, and some of the darkest days. And now she is seeing this town with very sober eyes. Now, 30, 36 days out, we got a tight schedule to keep today. Yes. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of meetings. We've got a lot of intentional relationships. You are doing some just amends and connection. And she's just grown up, girl. You are like, you are doing the work. And <laughs> got to make sure she looks good. Um, but I just want to say I'm so proud of you. And, and I, have, I have great hope for you too. And what you said about love is so real. Yeah. Where are you pointing at right now? I'm pointing to, um, I lived right by, uh, like literally down the street from the uh, stadium, the Baylor Stadium. Um, and I was just pointing that out to her because, you know, that, that life over there, like the difference from then and now. And I mean, it's just like, uh, yeah. um, no, no offense, Baylor Stadium, but right. you know, but that's, this is where we're at right now was a lot of my running through areas. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I prayed before I came and said, God, I don't, I want it to be, I want it to be, um, not a bad feeling, but I want to be when I come through here that I can just know that's not who I am anymore. Right. Waco's not bad. Right. <laughs> the town itself is not bad, and I love Waco, but it, it's I made it bad because of the choices that I was doing and the people that I was meeting. And there's probably not a store that we could go into right now that I wouldn't run into someone, mm-hmm. especially in this area, which is that's not going to happen. But yeah. because I'm, I've got accountability, and I'm so glad that I'm letting accountability. Right. You're doing it. You're choosing. Be, it. Yes, I chose. I, I asked that I would be covered today. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that coming into Waco was something I needed to do. I've got a little bit of business to take care of and um, a daughter to see. But I knew that um, I needed complete covering. Not just drop me off and take me home, but complete covering everywhere I go. And because I honestly want this. If I didn't want it, I would already try to manipulate my way back here. But I honestly want sobriety for the first time. And relocation is many times essential to women who have been in the industry, have been in the life, have been struggling with addiction. And, you know, Linda's got a new life where she's at. She has a network of love and support where she's relocated. And uh, sometimes that is absolutely essential. It just, um, yeah, it's it, it literally is the difference between life and death for many people. But you have to choose it. And so women have to choose that. And she she's made that brave choice to relocate. Um, well, I, I want to end with saying this because what you said about love earlier is so powerful to me. Um, there's a quote by Mother Teresa and it says, faith in action is love and love in action is service. Yeah. Wow. And that is, I mean, love Love is active. Love is service. Love is showing up and saying, I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk. Anybody can say I love you. Anybody can say God loves you. Yes. But how are we showing that? How are we opening our doors? How are we staying true to our word? How are we, whether it's programs or whether it's um, just having meals with, you know, people who've walked in different shoes than you have, you know, what does your service to others look like? And that is what keeps us 
on the path for all of us to recovery and it keeps us connected with the love of God because God's love absolutely has served us over and over and over again. So we're excited for today. We're excited to see um, and just to stay in touch with Linda and her recovery. But we want to thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you down the road. All right. We'll see everybody. And I'm glad that I could talk to everyone, not under the influence, but under the influence of Jesus. (laughs) All right. Share the love, guys.